I think it's been about a year ago last time uh, we were here. And uh, so, so, so good to be with you. Such a sweet just spirit here in this church. And so it's always, always good um, to be back. And a lot has happened, actually, last time I was here. Uh, we, uh, we spent, well, those of you who don't know, we've, we're missionaries here in the UK. Been here five years, going on six. And, um, and just recently spent six months in the States and have just returned mid-May. And uh, to a new area of the city, like we've been all over the place. We started off actually here in Harrow uh, five years ago. And we transitioned down to Greenwich and planted a church. And now we're in northeast London, out near Woodford and technically Essex now. Um, and so who knows? We might come f- full circle and come back to Harrow. I don't know. Uh, who knows? Um, but, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a good, uh, good five years so far. Uh, this morning I want to talk about... Uh, what I've entitled the uh, believer's motto. You know, we're, we are familiar, I think, often with like slogans and mottos, and many uh, companies have a slogan or motto, right? And I want to see how many of these that um, we might be able to to uh, figure out together. So um, let's see how many of these you're familiar with. Think different. Whose motto is that? Anybody know? Apple, well done, yeah. Melts in your mouth, not in your hands. No? It is a sweet, it is a candy. M&M's. Yeah. Okay, uh, how about this one? I'm loving it. McDonald's, yeah. <laughs> Easy. All right, this is uh, primarily for the ladies, probably, um, because you're worth it. Oh, you guys got that one quick. Um, every little helps. <laughs> Tesco, Tesco, <laughs> yeah. All right, so it's not just businesses that have mottos or slogans. Um, interestingly enough, political parties have slogans. And so back in, I mean, who knows, it might be another general election coming up soon. Um, But in 2017, um, the three big parties, they all had their own mottos. The conservative party was forward, together, strong, and stable. That was their motto. Um, The labor party was for the many, not the few. And the Lib Dems, theirs was simply change Britain's future, right? So in all spheres of life, like we are familiar with slogans or mottos, right? And they're effective because they, in a sense, summarize the main ideas of, again, of company or, you know, in this case, political parties. Um, And so what is the motto of a follower of Jesus. Like, if we could sum it up, what would be our motto, right? As Christians, what would be our, you know, in one phrase, uh, what would that be? Uh, And so I think we find that in our text this morning in John chapter 2. So if you have a device, a Bible with you, go ahead and uh, and turn there with me. John chapter 2. Potentially a familiar passage for many of us, the... um, the wedding at Cana, where Jesus performs his first uh, miracle that we know of. Um, but I want to take us a, a little bit 
different uh, angle, if you will, at this text, because I believe in this text we find our motto as believers, like our slogan, what are we meant to be about. So let's uh, go ahead and read um, the, the text. So John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars, or water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars, jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And the disciples believed in him. After this, he went to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. Then they stayed there for a few days. If there ever is a time where you desire for things to go smoothly, it is a wedding, is it not? <laughs> right? Um, and as much as the occasion can be joyous, it can also be time of uh, worry and stress particularly if you're the bride, right? You want things to go well and smooth, right? What's interesting, I think, about this story and about this text is there's no mention of the bride. Yet, there is a huge, potentially disastrous thing that has occurred, right? The wine has run out. And everyone seems to, at least, there's quite a few who know about this issue, right? Mother of Jesus, Mary, uh, she's the first to spot the issue, she brings Jesus into it, the disciples at that time, and then uh, the servants. And they're all trying to figure out this issue to try to sort out the, the wedding because you do not want this, we don't want the bride to know. And what's interesting is, as far as we know, she does not know what happened at her own wedding. So success, right? Um, but the text begins, you'll notice, um, with the mother of Jesus. It says, on the third day there was a wedding at Cana, and the mother of Jesus was there. Uh, it's widely believed that at this moment that Joseph, her husband, has already passed away. So she's a widow. She's invited to this wedding, perhaps, probably, that, that uh, family that she knew, perhaps. It could be their own, Jesus' own family or cousins or something. Um, but it also says Jesus was invited as well, along with his disciples. You might also notice that we're really early in the gospel. This is John chapter 2. Jesus had just begun his ministry. 
and then prior to this, he's seen calling his first disciples. So there's not 12 yet. There's just a handful, maybe three, four. Um, so Jesus is just starting his ministry yet, and then he begins this, he's attended this wedding. And uh, it may have been because Jesus brings friends that the wine runs out, like they weren't accounting for this number of people, or I think more likely, this is probably a poor family. And they only had a certain amount of provisions uh, for the wedding, and just kind of hoping that, okay, what we have would will do it, sort of thing, but yet it didn't. They ran out. So, uh, big problem. Not only does this put a damper on the party, right, <laughs> for the wedding, uh, but it's also a huge embarrassment to the family at this time. It's a huge embarrassment. Um, and you'll see Mary speaks to her son, Jesus, and simply says this. What does, this, what, what does Jesus say? Or, sorry, Mary say? They have no wine. Now, it's difficult to know what Mary wanted Jesus to do in this moment. It's hard to know the tone of Mary's statement. Is she just simply stating a fact? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no wine. <laughs> or is she saying, there's no wine, do something about it? You know, it's hard to know exactly where Mary is coming from. Um... It appears, though, I think, her comment was meant to elicit some sort of response from Jesus because of Jesus' reply. Look at Jesus, how Jesus responds um, to his mom, Mary. Jesus responds with a mild rebuke. He says, woman, now if I were to tell my mom, woman, that would not go over well. I don't know about your parents or your mom. Um, that would not go over well in my family, okay? And Jesus responds with this apparent mild, mild rebuke, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So I think we can, like, deduce from this that Mary, however she addressed Jesus in this case, was asking him to do something. I don't know if she was asking him to do a miracle at this point or not, but apparently... She wanted some kind of response from Jesus to sort this out. Um, and this expression, woman, it's not necessarily uncommon, but it is interesting that he chooses to address his own mother that way. I guess it would be similar to us in our culture, a word we don't use often is like ma'am. Like ma'am, what does this have to do with me? You know, it's not a word we typically use often. Um, but it is a polite expression of distance, I think, between Jesus and his mom. Um, and listen, I think this is a defining moment in their relationship. All right, track with me, okay? They and Jesus has been they've been growing up. Jesus has been growing up with his mom up to this point. He's now begun his ministry, and he gives a mild rebuke to his mom, maybe for the first time, to create some distance. Um, and Jesus is needing to remind his own mother um, that their relationship is changing. He's not just her son, he's also her Lord now. 
And so this is a defining moment. And I think anyone in the room who are parents, uh, there comes a point in, in life where that relationship, that parental relationship with your child changes, right? I remember when Aiden, like, he started secondary school. That was, a, again, like a, a similar thing. Like, we're not going to walk him to school now. Aiden's taking the bus, right? Um, and he just goes. I mean, often we don't even see him in the morning, right? He just gets up and goes. Um, so there's a natural kind of change in this relationship, I think we see even here um, in this text. And so again, Jesus is simply politely distancing himself from Mary, his mom, um, and his identity as also God's son. Um, and we know Jesus does nothing, even a request from his mom, without first consulting his father. Uh, John 5, 19, Jesus says this, Verily, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So here's what I think is going on in this text. I think Mary had asked Jesus to do something. He had not had the opportunity yet to consult with his Father. Which is, I think, is a small lesson for us. May we do the same. You know? May we be that careful to do things without first consulting our Father. Uh, his response, again, is a general reminder that his sonship is ultimately to his heavenly Father. And now, so how does Mary take this gentle, mild rebuke from her own son, Jesus? How would you respond, you know, if you're, a, you know, a lady in the room? Uh, for what we know of Mary, she is a woman of very few words. If you recall, uh, when the angel speaks to her in Luke chapter 2 about she's going to be bearing forth a son named Jesus, and, and the angel's telling her all these things, we know that she is like me. I'm a thinker. Uh, she's a thinker. She's not one who communicates out loud or is not like a verbal processor like my wife Lindsay is. She is. We're completely opposite, right? And so she, I think, is more a of a just, yeah, quiet spirit and will think things through before speaking. Because we know in Luke 2 it says um, that Mary pondered these things in her heart. Remember that? So you, she was one who would receive things, hear things, and then just kind of think about it. And so she's pondering things. And I think when Jesus rebukes her mildly, I think she ponders this. I think she realizes, in a sense, what's going on. And so her response is, look at this in the text. It says, Mary turns to the servants that are there who are busy about their duties and says something I think is wise and measured, the wise and measured response. She turns to these servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Again, I think this is after a time of thinking about these. Um, so, notice what she does not do. She does not question her son, Jesus. Um, she didn't try to sort it out herself. All right, all right, son, I'll, I'll do it. I'll go to the shop and get some more wine. She doesn't do that. She doesn't try to force Jesus' hand to do something. 
she simply says, do whatever he says to the servants. And so, my friends, this is the motto. So if you, if you in, are comfortable like I do in my Bible, I often write the underlined things. If, you're, if you do, underline Mary's um, request to the servants, do whatever he tells you. This is, I believe, the Christian's motto. Um, so let's, for the remainder of our time, I want to break this down, this motto of followers of Jesus. What does this look like? Um, firstly, I'm going to look at five things. We must have prepared obedience. So in order for us to do whatever Jesus says to do, we must first have this idea of prepared obedience. No one obeys Jesus by mistake or all of a sudden. There must be a weighing. There must be a considering um, what the will of God is for us then to obey it. I'm thinking of an uh, example of this. I was thinking um, nothing for me prepares this idea of prepared obedience like having children, especially infants. Uh, because there's this thing that I call the will of the nappy, right? So there is this thing that happens, infants, that you don't know when it's going to happen, but you can be assured that you will be called upon to change the nappy at some point during the day. And when duty calls, no point. <laughs> you may catch that joke. Okay, never mind. So when the duty calls, you have two options. You can be prepared or you can be ill-prepared. And Lindsay and I learned early on that we needed to be prepared for when this occurrence of the nappy were to call, right? Um, so we would often leave the house with all sorts of provisions, right? Plenty of clean like, nappies and extra change of clothes and all the things. Like we had half the house, felt like, with us just to go down to the shop, all right? Because you didn't know, because it, it could, you could be called upon to change the nappy. That's prepared obedience, right? You're preparing yourself for something to happen, okay? So as followers of Jesus, we also need to be in this state of prepared obedience, like ready to engage when the time comes, right? And so, um, so number one, we need to have prepared obedience. Secondly, um, our obedience needs to be perfect. Notice what Mary says to the servants. Do whatever. Whatever he says, or whatever he tells you, do it. And so for us, that means um, we don't have the freedom to choose which commands of Christ to obey. It's whatever he says. Um, so we cannot say, I will follow Jesus or I'll do what he says as long as, dot, 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 as long as I don't have to move, <laughs> then I'll do it. Or as long as I have a certain amount in my bank account. Or as long as I know with a certain degree the outcome of this. No. It has to be perfect. Like whatever he says, do it. Um, <clears throat> I came across this quote about obedience I thought was really interesting. 
says, uh, it is a great deal is a great deal easier to do what God gives us to do, no matter how hard it is, than to face the responsibilities of not doing it. I like that. It's just easier to do it. Just do it. There's freedom in that. Just do what he feels like, you feel like God's calling you to do. So not only should we have prepared obedience, we should have perfect obedience. Thirdly, uh, our obedience is to be personal. Look what Mary says. Whatever he says to you, do it. It's a personal thing. Um, do you think Jesus one day will say to you or to I, well done, good and faithful servant. When I was hungry, you sent me on to somebody else. No. Or when I was thirsty, you gave me the address to the local council. You know. No. Like there is a personal responsibility for us. Whatever he calls you to do, you're meant to do it. Obey it. Um, I have just a quick story that's actually I was going to share. Like So last Friday, uh, I was out in East London with some friends, all of us believers, three of us, in a sense, like full-time workers or Christian workers, missionaries, church leaders. And we had gone to East London to just do outreach and do some evangelism on the street, right? And so we were out for about an hour, and we came back to a cafe, right? And we were sitting outside, and we're just kind of debriefing our time. We had some really interesting conversations with some folks. And we're just sitting there, and I noticed this gentleman walking from the street, and he was looking straight at me. Like, his eyes were just locked. We are like, locked in. And uh, I was kind of a little, like, nervous. Like, do I know this guy? Like, I don't think so. But he, can't, he comes straight to our table and begins the conversation. Essentially, we've figured out he was essentially begging, you know. Uh, begins to tell us the story how he was robbed recently, a couple days ago. Everything was taken. He said his passport was taken. Uh, I can't remember what country he was from. But he's like, I'm trying to get work. I can't get work with that passport. Is there anything you guys can do? Yeah. And so again, we're all, have just come back from, you know, just kind of this state of, you know, this is a preparedness of heart, right? You know, we're trying to listen to what Jesus is doing uh, that morning. And so we're trying to discern, okay, what, God, what are you doing here? What's going on here? And one of us asked, just simply asked, are you, just curious, are you a spiritual person? And the guy says, yeah, I am. And then we get a little further, you're like, are you follow Jesus? You know, are you, do you believe in Jesus? You're just curious, you know? And uh, he says, yes, but um, I've never been baptized, you know, because I want to, I want to be baptized, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and so we're all just like, what is Jesus doing here, like, in this moment, what is he doing, um, and so we begin talking a bit further, and became apparent that this guy, he, he wanted to be baptized, like, right now, we're in East London, we're in Hackney, and he's like, I want to do this now, and then my, us, my friends and I were like, okay, Again, it's like this obedient thing. Like, okay, let's find some water. <laughs> and so we walk to Regents, like the canal in East London, and jump in and baptize this guy. Um, and then we begin talking some more. And for me, I felt, again, Jesus is kind of just trying to discern what else we need to do with this guy. 
Um, and I came to find out he had a phone, but it didn't have any um, service on it, like his SIM card had run out. And I felt the Lord said, you need to just help him out at least with that. You know, so okay. So we went to the shop, got him, like topped up his phone. So now that I can communicate with him, we're gonna go back and kind of hang out this week. Um, but anyway, that's just for me is a, a story where I felt the Lord speaking to me in a sense, in a small way, you just need to help him out with this SIM card, you know. That's what I want you to do. I don't want you to go, you know, take him to the counter. This is what, for right now, this is what he needs. Um, And then that way we can communicate together. So guys, number, anyway. um, Jesus will tell us things to do personally, right? Um, All right, so anyway, number four. Not only do we need to have prepared obedience, perfect obedience, personal obedience, um, but number four, prompt. Do it at once. Whenever you feel like the Lord speaks to you to do something, do it at once. Think about this like a, a soldier in the army. Um, when he's given the order to march, he marches. <laughs> right? Could you imagine a, a private um, and his commander or sergeant and tells him, gives him an order to do something? He's like, listen, Sarge. Uh, I, got, I hear what you said. I got a few things I need to do real quick. <laughs> then I'll do that. It's not, it's not going to work, is it? No. As soon as you hear something, commanded to do something, you are to do it promptly. Um, same for us as followers of Jesus. The moment you and I receive a command, I'm not saying there's not testing. There's testing that needs to be involved. This is, um, this is seem to be the word of God here. You know, if it is, we need to be prompt to obey it. And then finally, number five, um, may our obedience be perpetual. Now, this is, I think, interesting. I believe Mary's intent to the servants here, when she tells them, do whatever he says. Whatever he says, do it. I think she meant for the duration of this wedding, whatever he tells you to do, do it. So there's a perpetual obedience that... um, is involved for us as believers, as far as you, that's our motto. As long as you and I are here on this earth, that's as long as we need to be, like, obey Jesus. All right, this is where he has us on earth. As long as we're here, we need to have that same kind of attitude, perpetual, as whatever he says, I'll do it. So my friends, as long as you and I are, again, in this world, uh, may the Holy Spirit enable us to do and do whatever Jesus bids us to do. And so to recap, um, the believer's motto, do whatever he says to do, do it. Um, so our response to that is to be prepared, prepared obedience, perfect obedience, personal obedience, prompt obedience, perpetual obedience. And lastly, why is this important? Why is this whole important. Two things. I think um, because it is these things, these things of obedience that prepare us for heaven. I want you to think about this for a second. Um, For in heaven we will have no will but God's will. All right, so your will that we have, that we wrestle with every day, don't we? Like, like, Lord, I got my will. I can know, I don't understand that you have your will. That's not going to be the case in heaven. Like, it'll be God's will. You will do 
God's will. Your will and my will will be to serve him, um, to do whatever he says to do. That's what heaven is going to be like. And so if you want to practice <laughs> what living in eternity is going to be like, then we need to practice that now because that's what it's going to be. Um, I'm afraid there'll be some people who actually are going to be surprised when they get to heaven and understand what this is like. Um, they may not like it, but I'm telling you, this is what heaven is going to be like for us to, to learn here what practical obedience is like. So if you don't enjoy it here, you're not going to enjoy it in heaven is another way to say it. <laughs> right? Okay. Um, so yeah. Number two, um, and let's not miss this, this is a, a huge part of the story, the text, that often we you know, typically focus on is we get to participate when we obey Jesus, we get to, uh, to participate in the works of Jesus. Look at the uh, end of verse 7. It says, that Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars. Right? He, he responds, there's a command, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim, and he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And so these servants, they obey, they do what Jesus says, says to do, and as they do, they, they participate in this miraculous event of turning water into wine, right? So when you and I obey Jesus and do what he tells us to do, we get to participate in his work, all right? And often we get to see miraculous things take place. Um, and so may that be our motto. Do whatever Jesus says. Do it. But here's a, a key piece that I want to end on this, and then I'll close. Um, there's a defining thing that must happen for you and I that happened, I think, to Mary in this story. So like Mary, our relationship with Jesus must move from whatever it is. Maybe it's your relationship with Jesus is a historical figure or a good teacher or whatever. I don't know. Religion, you know. In the case of Mary, is the son. But it has to move from whatever that is to Lord. It has to move. Um, and we see, I think, that happens here for Mary. So in order for us to do whatever Jesus tells us to do, he must take the place of Lord in our hearts and lives. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, your word, and I do pray for everyone in here today, God, that we can take on this motto of being prepared to obey whatever you call us to do, be perfect in that, May we be obedient and prompt to your callings and your um, promptings of your spirit. And may we be so ever faithful as long as we are here on earth. Lord, I ask this in your name. Amen.